Would you please turn in your Bibles to uh, 1 Peter? We've read uh, chapter 2 about healthy attitudes. We are thinking now how these are worked out, most of which in the privacy of our homes and families. It's under the heading, Husbands and Wives. It says, 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 1. First seven verses. This is God's Word. See how it applies to all of us in all our circumstances today. Wives, in the same way, be submissive to your husbands, so that if any of them do not believe the Word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives when they see the purity and reverence of your lives, your beauty should not come from outward adornment, such as braided hair and the wearing of gold, jewelry and fine clothes. Instead, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit which is of great worth in God's sight. For this is the way the holy women of the past who put their hope in God used to make themselves beautiful. They were submissive to their husbands, like Sarah, who obeyed Abraham and called him her master. You are her daughters if you do what is right and do not give way to fear. Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. Ah, uh, it's not for the faint-hearted to preach a sermon on that in these days or any day. Uh, hopefully, the, the sermon will have more light and not too much heat. Um, but nevertheless, uh, uh, here is the challenge for us, and I want us to see how it applies to, to us. Um, first of all, I want to give you a treat. Uh, if we to ask you who are your favorite singers, whether it's country, your country and western, and, and um, Bob Dylan, and you know, some of these others, listen to the, the message that comes from Dolly Parton. And this is probably the first time in your lives you've had a sermon that's introduced by Dolly Parton. Listen to this. Well, there's a lament from Dolly Parton. It rings true for far too many people. I want to make a few quotes from this book by J. John, and it's called uh, The Ultimate Guide to Marriage. I can highly recommend it uh, if you want to borrow it, but better still uh, if you buy it for yourself. A couple of quotes from this book. Uh, if you've heard J. John, you'll know how um, engaging as a speaker he is on all sorts of subjects. A man walked into a bookshop and asked a woman behind the counter, have you got a book called Man, the Master of Woman? She straightened her shoulders, looked him in the eye and said, try the fiction section. I love being married. It's great to find that one special person in the whole world that 
I can annoy for the rest of my life. Now, cynics do have comments to make about marriage. My wife says I never listen to her. At least, I think that's what she says. You talk about marriage and you say when a man and a woman marry, they become one. It's a good start. The trouble starts, however, when they want to try and decide which one. But the best one of all, and I quote this always during uh, a marriage service, and it's this, the success, whatever success you can say in terms of human relationships, particularly marriage, it's not so much finding the right person, that's not easy in terms of the subject, subjective nature of human life and relationships. It's not, much, not so much finding the right person as being the right partner. That's the issue. And here we have a very interesting series of statements that I guess some of you would want to challenge, perhaps from your experience, even question. However, for what it's worth, here we are, and I want us to have a look at this. Governments all around the world are increasingly concerned at the breakdown of families. They don't particularly see that as anything religious, simply that it creates instability in society, uh, financial um, constraints. A lot more people are living on their own now than ever before. And the polarization of families is a growing problem in our country and in many other parts of the world. They're often referred to as the building blocks of any society. And where you have an erosion of that, the society shows signs that it's crumbling. Sadly, many young people are disillusioned by marriage per se. Maybe they've seen either from their families or friends um, the, the wreckage of family life and they say, I don't want that. So they enter into a relationship and say, let's see how it goes. Let's just live together. Just keep our options open. One of the great things about the Bible is that God enters into covenant with people and he wants those covenants to be reflected in all of our relationships. So of course, Marriage is more than a piece of paper. It is entering into a covenant with two people. Restored relationships in marriage, in family life, is one of the most important, I think, powerful arenas of Christian witness. None of us are perfect. We know that. And yet, where the grace of God begins to work, it's a very powerful expression of his kingdom working in the lives of imperfect people like you and I. So, here we have this passage. What I'd like us to do now is to see um, a couple of key phrases which you may not have noticed, certainly I had not noticed, and their impact in the immediate context of what we are saying. You will see, for example, in um, uh, verses 1 to 7, and particularly when you notice verse 1 and 7. It begins, verse 1 of chapter 3, in the same way. Now, we should ask the question, in the same way as what? And we look at that. 
and you get it with the husband in the same way. The same way as what? We'll make the connection in a moment, but that is a very vital link uh, to the sermon that we have this morning. It is, then, first of all, a direct connection with the close of chapter 2. That's one of the unfortunate things of the Bible. It's, it, it's divided in sections. Well, what is the conclusion of chapter 2? Well, look at verse 21, for example. This is, if marriage is in the same way as this, take a deep breath. This is a high and awesome and holy calling. Indeed, of course, not exclusive to marriage, but all human relationships, but here particularly. Chapter 2, verse 21. To this you were called, because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin, and no deceit was found in his mouth when they hurled, when they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself, our Savior, bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sins and live to righteousness. By his wounds we are healed. In the same way, I tell you this, anybody who has this quality of love in any relationship will surely have a successful relationship. Not because they're clever, or they're beautiful, or intelligent, or a lot of money, simply because in this way it works. It works. And without it, often it doesn't. It works. In the same way. So we make the connection then with what's gone previously. Just as Jesus was submissive to the Father, in the same way, you be submissive to one another. What is this then? Well, it's, it's, it's a voluntary selflessness which seeks the good of another person. I become a blessing to the person whom I love. And one of the keys to all relationships, and particularly marriage, is this, and this is a crucial thing again, this reciprocal calling. In the same way God sent his Son into the world, in the same way he calls us to live together and reflect that covenant relationship. It's a, it's a mighty, awesome calling. And even with you and I, with our frailties and, and our stubbornness and uh, all those things that make us who we are, and our gifts and our blessing and our love and so forth, it is possible. It is possible. Here's another interesting observation when you see this. This is how it works out in a pagan world. And may I say this, the pagan world isn't out there, it's in here. I mean, for, look, if you think again, this relationship, husband and wife, they were not one in the Lord. Sometimes that's a, that's a real challenge. And Peter doesn't fudge that issue. In a pagan world, a conflict of belief or no belief. So you see in verse 1 and 2, Wives, in the same way, be submissive to your husbands, so that if any of them do not believe the word, they say, I don't believe your gospel. I don't believe in Jesus. I, I can't see that. I won't accept that. And yet you come to faith. See the, see the issue. 
in a pagan world, in a pagan church, in a pagan marriage. Oh, it's not being judgmental. It's simply saying you get a clash of values and cultures and, 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 and beliefs and so forth. Here's the challenge. I think, and we haven't got to this verse yet, and we're weaving our way through 1 Peter. Come to chapter 3 and verse 15. I think this is such a, perhaps this could be the very central verse of 1 Peter in many ways. And we were singing, weren't, weren't we? In, in my home be glorified. In my life, in your church, in my work, my school, in my heart. And where a person has Jesus Christ residing in his heart, where Jesus is glorified, look at this. In your hearts, set apart Christ as Lord. Let him have the glory there. In your heart. So it starts, isn't it? The heart of the matter. It is a matter of the heart. In marriage, in, in, in our faith, in relationships. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone or anyone who asks you to give the reason the hope, for the hope that you have. Now, do you see that? Somebody is asking you the question. You're not asking them. You're not saying, oh, I've got to talk to somebody about Jesus. People want to talk to me about Jesus because they see something. Someone residing in my heart. Now, that's the big theme of submission. And it's a challenge. But it's a good theme. It's one that enriches our lives and brings blessing to others. So, in my home... In my marriage, in my work, in my community, Jesus is Lord. Let's look very briefly then at just uh, three quick headings. The first, under this big theme of submission, number one, Jesus' submission to the Father's love. There you have it in chapter 2, 21. That's the theme that it gives us a lead into chapter 3. In the same way, Jesus' submission to the Father's love. And we sang this, meekness and majesty. But interestingly, the hymn comes, which, which if you want, it's in, in Ephesians 2 and verse 6. But the prefix is this. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. Don't sing the hymn yet. Get your attitude right. It is true, isn't it? Today, you are here, I'm here. Our attitude is either our best friend or our worst enemy. Get that right. Don't sing the hymn yet. Now, what is our attitude like to these issues? Maybe they're shaped negatively by bad experiences. Well, talk to someone. Ask. So there it is in Ephesians. Uh, sorry, in Philippians uh, 2, 52, verse 5. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. What was that like? Well, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but humbled himself, taking the very nature of a servant, being found in human likeness. He humbled himself, became obedient to death, and I'm sure you know the rest of the song. So, Jesus is submissive to his Father's love. Now then, all we need to do is take a deep breath and make the link in the same way. That's the connection. That's the link. We've got the picture now. Jesus, submissive to his Father's love, 
in the same way you and I, and here's the immediate context. You can't avoid this, can you? Chapter 3, verse 1. In the same way, wives submit to your husbands. We're interesting, aren't we? People are, you know, people are great. Let me read something to you. He and me, isn't it strange, or she and me, isn't it strange? How do we look at some of these experiences in life? When he doesn't finish his work, he's lazy. When I don't finish my work, it's because I'm busy. When he speaks about somebody, it's gossip. When I do it, it's constructive criticism. When he sticks to his point of view, he's stubborn. When I don't change my opinion, I'm resolute. When he doesn't speak to me, I'm affronted. When I don't speak to him, it's simply that I didn't notice. When he smiles and speaks kindly, he's obviously got an ulterior motive. When I'm like that, I'm being virtuous. Now, I've got a long list here. Perhaps that's, that would suffice. It, relating to people over a long period of time is always a big challenge. And if we haven't faced that, I suggest that some of our relationships are far too superficial. Wives, be submissive to a husband's love. That's what you have in verse 1. In the same way as Christ was submissive to his father's love. Now that is an almighty, awesome calling. Two reasons. In this immediate passage, there will be lots of others, I've no doubt, but two reasons. The first, pure and simple, is it's a, it's a thing of obedience. Now, these things don't sound good in our society where we're light on obedience and it's I, me, my sort of culture. But what do you make of these references? Chapter 3, verse 1. Why is in the same way be submissive to your husband's? so that if any of them do not believe, they may be won over by your life. Not by the things you say, but by the person you are. Not winning arguments, but living out Jesus in the home. And five and six, or verse four, instead, well, you know, it's not, look at verse three. It's quite something, isn't it? We're in tricky ground here. Um, your beauty should not come from the outward adornments, such as the braided hair, wearing of gold. Well, we've all got those today. I'm wearing gold, and you, and your hair very nicely, and you've got quite good. We, we dress down for coming to church now, not dress up, but even so. Um, those of us who remember an American preacher, R.T. Kendall, who came to Westminster uh, Chapel, who is the successor to Martin Lloyd-Jones, he preached at an assembly, and uh, he mentioned the wives of the pastors in the FIEC community. And he was very rude. He said, most of the wives I've met look as if they've fallen off the back of a wagon. That's what he said. I know. Well, he was saying it as it is. Um, he, his reason for saying it, however, was that the churches should 
start paying decent salaries so the wives can look a bit smarter. So there was this thing in the tale. What is it about the way we appear, you know, our appearance and so on? Is that the main thing? Is it public opinion? Is that the thing that drives us or is there a deeper thing? Obedience. But it's not obedience in this sense of a superiority or an inferiority. It is, a, it, is, it is obedience in the sense of a heart relationship. You have it in, in Ephesians 5 where Paul compares marriage to Christ loving the church. You can't have a bigger role model than that. So it isn't law, it's love. It's not an external thing, those things are important, but they're not of supreme importance. It's an internal thing. Interestingly, in verse 4, if you read it carefully, instead of this external thing, verse 4, instead, it should be of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. The reference there to a quiet spirit is not the Holy Spirit, it's the fruit of the Spirit. Because Jesus is Lord in my life, well then the fruit of the Spirit is evident in my marriage. It has to be. If his Lordship is compromised, well, so will the fruit be. And there's another key uh, word here. If the first one is obedience, the second word, this is a great opportunity. Don't give in. Suppose you are in a marriage where uh, either the husband or the wife are not believers. They love each other very much. You love your children and your family. But, well, it's an opportunity. It's an opportunity for the grace of God to work in your home and work in your relationships. Look at, look at verse 2. Chapter 3 and verse 2. When they see the purity and reverence of your lives. That is a great calling. That is a... So in other words... Wives who are submissive to their husband's love takes the key from Jesus' submission to the Father's love. And even in the most difficult situations, by the way, difficult in, in Christian marriages, some unbelieving marriages are happier than Christian marriages. No one's denying that. This isn't a silver bullet or a magic wand. It's being honest and open to where we are. But it's not the issue about the outward appearance, but the inner attitude. Attitudes are very powerful things in all human relationships. And some of us need a changed attitude. Lastly, Jesus' submission to the Father's love, the wife's submission to the husband's love, the husband's submission to the wife's love. It's, we are different, male and female, by definition. That is the enriching and strengthening thing about relationships. The saving love of God enables the man to love his wife as Jesus Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. And so, when you get to verse 7, husbands, huh, if, if we haven't got it already, we really are missing the point. In the same way, now, you can't avoid that, can you? Husbands, in the same way, if a husband's a dictator, 
at home or demanding or unreasonable. Well, well, we missed the point already. In the same way, bringing Christ's love, Christ's unconditional love, into difficult relationships. So throughout verses 1 to 7, you have this complementary relationship. Equal, no question about that, equal, let's get that right, equal, but different. And the difference is, is the enriching and the strengthening of relationships within families. So here you have this profound expression of mutuality. In the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives, treat them with respect as the weaker partner. Now we had an interesting discussion in our home group, I hope you had in yours, as to what we mean by the weaker partner. Well, it's, a, it's, a good, it's a good point. I hope you had that discussion. And my suggestion was it's because men are stronger. Well, we are. Ah, there's always the exception, but for the most part, that's how it is. But, but there's something else here, and I think there are two things when we try to think about this. Two expressions. First of all, think about sexual partner who is weaker. Now, the issue of bearing children. Do, do you see that, that you, you have this um, in... In verse 7, here, where are we? 1 Peter 3, verse 7. Try to apply this to yourself. Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner. And what, what is this? And heirs with you of the gracious gift of life. Well, surely children are a gracious gift of life. Love is a gracious gift of life. But it takes two, doesn't it? A relation of understanding, of respecting, of equality, of value, of affirming, of doing things together, of being in step in the home, of the gracious gift of life, of children, of spiritual life. The fact that we have children doesn't mean they're going to confess the Lord that we have tried to live out in our homes. It doesn't always work like that. Well, we know it. The gracious gift of life. Husbands must act with gentleness and respect of their wives. Let me just say this. There is no point in singing and praying and preaching if this isn't there first. The rest is hollow. In fact, it has the opposite effect. It's almost a form of hypocrisy. If it's sexual in terms of the, of the coming together in the tenderness of human relationship and the byproduct of that, a wider family, bringing people into that circle. But there's something else as well. There's not only the sexual idea, which is with the weaker partner, but the spiritual. Let me ask you, you used to say years ago, didn't they, that um, the... the Husbands and wives who pray together, stay together. 
Perhaps in the first one, in the sexual thing, if they play together, they stay together. That's, that's how it is, isn't it? What does it mean? This, this word, uh, hinder, is a strong word. There's a barrier that comes in this relationship. It's blocked, it becomes, the literal meaning is, ineffective, unfruitful, unproductive. Peter's world is very different to ours. Women occupied a far lower status when he wrote than modern society. Thank God for the progress that's been made. So Peter's exhortation isn't demanding, it's liberating, it's affirming. They portray for us the dignity, equality and value that should be given to all women. How can someone respect or respond if that isn't there? That's what the message of Dolly Parton. Governments, society are concerned about this big issue of the, the breaking of the fabric of human relationships. How are we going to bring healing? How does it come? When we think that all of life, by the way, and again, you see, attitude is, 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 is imperative here. First thing you want to say to a couple, if they're going to get married, by the way, this is a gift and it is not a right. Tell that to people today who are sleeping around. Nevertheless, that's where God is coming from. It is a gift, it's not a right. Marriage is a gift. Health is a gift. Work is a gift. Money is a gift. Children are a gift. They're not rights. That's the attitude. You see what I'm saying? Before you even start unpacking this. But there's one thing that is very important. Because of the very nature of who we are and what we are, the principle of forgiveness is imperative. Because we are forgiven, it's incumbent upon us that we must forgive. That's what Jesus taught in the Lord's Prayer. What if there was an affair in a relationship? Think of that for a moment. How do you repair a marriage where there has been uh, unfaithfulness? It's the stuff of soaps and films ad nauseum. It's the air we breathe. It's, all, it's around us all the time. Well, one of the things the Christian has is this. Because he or she is forgiven, they know what it is to be forgiving. Let's look at this then forgiveness under some quick headings to see how the, this impacts upon you as we close. Forgiveness, first of all, then what are we saying? Is a process where barriers of hate and guilt between people are removed. Hurt and guilt are hard things to live with. We may say, well, it's baggage, sure. But unless those barriers are removed, there can be little hope of intimacy being re-established. You're looking over your shoulder all the time. Secondly, forgiveness is first and foremost a decision, not an emotion. It's packed with emotional issues, no question. But first and foremost, it is a decision that you make. And when you think of the intensity and depth of emotional issues in marriages, You make the decision. 
and the feelings will come later. Thirdly, and let's be patient with each other, forgiveness is not necessarily an instantaneous event. Forgiveness may be started in an instant, for sure. But when it's fully achieved, it may take years. When a sense of real trust will be re-established. Fourthly, forgiveness does not mean ignoring justice. If things are wrong, they are wrong. To forgive your spouse when they've had an affair isn't to approve what they did. It's not a case of saying, well, you know, we're all human, it doesn't matter, Uh, I don't mind. Yes, you do, and you should. Fifthly, forgiveness doesn't necessarily mean forgetting. How can you do that? It's very hard to forget these hurts, isn't it? They surface. You, You can never forget some of these hurts, but it's not the end of the relationship. Isn't it true it's very easy to forgive strangers rather than your marriage partner? You haven't got to live with the stranger. You have to live with each other. Sixthly, forgiveness should for the believer be matched with repentance. To repent of an affair is this, that I will now break off that relationship permanently, not keep the door open. Forgiveness visits like that. It it, it brings closure. And finally, forgiveness may and often is very costly in the context of human relationships. You see, To love deeply is to hurt deeply. One of the things you say at at, at a funeral service, for example, suppose a couple like Arthur and Rosa who knew each other for almost 60 years. To lose a loved one like that is to grieve deeply. Why? Because of the course of time you have loved profoundly and loved deeply. It's inevitable. Of course, if you love superficially, well, you're all right. You don't know what it is to grieve deeply. And in a sense, isn't it true that all human relationships have risks of ill health, of dying, of, of, of breaking up, of, uh, and so on and so forth. So, this is not the magic wand. Let me conclude by saying this. I cannot say whether things will get better if we change. But what I can say is they must change if they're going to get better. And part of that must change begins with my attitude. What is your attitude really like in the home, with your children, in the family, with your colleagues at work, among one another? Is it your best friend or your worst enemy? Husbands, love your wives. Wives, love your husbands. 
in the same way. God so loved the world that he gave his only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Just one final thing to close where there's this phrase here which we just need to touch on and it's this, so that all of this comes together at the end of verse 7 so that nothing may hinder your prayers. Okay. What's your prayer life like? Together. Good? Tolerable? Non-existent? What is it that hinders prayer? My immediate comments was this. I think for the most part, these things that hinder our prayer is that we are self-sufficient. Really, you know. Or is it, here's the second one very quickly, is it mild agnosticism? 